you know, one of the reasons that our, our relationship to our body is so challenging, it's like, you know, when you get sober, it's like, you can just stop doing drugs, but you can't stop eating. You can't stop living in the world. You can't stop looking at other people. And so you have to find a relationship to all these things that works for you and is healthy for you. Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand our relationship with our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock, and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, and I'm a writer. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Three, two, one. one. Hi, Hi, body body protesters. protesters. I think that was good. I think we We did it. We did it. Final episode of the series, and we did it. I can't, I mean... I'm so proud of us for getting to this point. I mean, we it's been, we did this in a bloody pandemic. I am very, very proud of us. We are angels. We are. It's just a joy working with you always. Honey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, I am, I'm pretty over the moon about the conversation we've just had that we are about to play for our wonderful audience listening right now. Um, I'm like actually like buzzing, but first of all, how are you? Also same, I also have this thing of like buzzing about the conversation we just had. I also have had too much coffee, so I'm also (laughs) slightly delirious, but the energy is high. Um, I feel like giddy. It feels like, doesn't it feel like end of school, like last day of school feeling? I haven't had that, I'm like, it's the last day of school. And I'm like, I am a 24 year old woman. I know, like, can we go out after? Like. I know, honestly, I'm like, it's muck-up day and we're yeah. getting in costume. And I can we draw on our shirts? <laughs> Please! Oh my god, Leavers jumpers! Oh! I was oh. I was about to make a terrible pun and be like, Leavers jumpers, Lena's jumpers. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense, but I've said it now. Um, which I think leads us on to, today we are speaking to a very special guest. I really kind of can't quite believe she's agreed to speak to us. She is my childhood hero and an incredible storyteller an incredible writer actress director everything showrunner um we are speaking today to the one the only lena dunham um i kind of yeah it's it's very surreal i actually cried before we had the conversation (laughs) and i think me and nadia cried multiple times during the conversation but yeah lena's impact for both of us in our lives has been huge and as we mentioned during the episode she's mentioned on almost every episode of the body protest by the guests as someone who definitely showed them a different way of existing in their bodies i think that's probably fair to say uh, yeah i mean i i think the conversation will speak for itself and i'm very excited for everyone to hear it and here's lena hello lena Hello, my love. I'm so excited. I can't tell you how excited we are to have you. I mean, this is, I feel like my whole life has been building to this moment. I actually can't quite believe it. it you are my favorite, my most favorite, my most favorite friend, my most favorite icon, my most favorite cat sitter. Oh, I'm going to cry. You're going <laughs> to make me cry. <laughs> well, you, I found the most amazing friend. And even though the world hasn't seen it yet, I do think perhaps when this podcast is released, is it time for us to finally show the people the picture of us as body twins? I th- I mean, I think <laughs> the world might be ready. I think that's how we launch this episode. <laughs> we launched this episode with the picture that we took where we realized that we were body twins and it was the greatest day of my life. It was honestly, I 
the minute you said it, and you said, I think our bodies are the same. I was like, I've been saying this my whole life and to have you validate me in that way was all I needed. And it made me feel alive. It made me feel alive. I was like, if somebody who looks like this and is has this energy is my body twin, then why am I moving through the world with such a slump? I need to get <sighs> it moving. Oh my God, Lena. That's incredible. I, it was truly like one of those nights where you're like, everything's going to be okay. Like women are amazing and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> That's how I felt. And I was like the younger, cause you're, how old are you, honey? I'm 24. So you and I are a full 10 years apart. So I was like, the younger generation is going to be fine. They're going to be great. They're growing up beautifully. Mm-hmm. We have nothing to worry about. Genuinely, I'm like, don't cry. Don't, I mean, but maybe I will cry. Who knows? <laughs> Let's all cry. I've been crying a lot lately. Let's just roll with it. Yeah, this is a safe space to cry to. We like to have a lovely, gentle energy here. So we love to start the podcast with this question and feel free to go as deep or as however, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing. But can you tell us a bit about your relationship to your body growing up? Such a great question. I mean, I think a lot of my relationship to my, I mean, obviously all our relationships to our bodies are so layered. Our relationships to our bodies are layered by our family's relationships to their bodies, by whether we grew up with, you know, in poverty or whether we grew up with, you know, enough food to eat, whether we grew up surrounded by people who were obsessed with their image in, you know, a commercial way or whether we grew up with people who were just trying to survive. I mean, there's so much that contributes to our relationship to our body. And I think something that was very pivotal for me was that I was a really skinny child and that my body really changed when I started to go through puberty. And it wasn't just that I was going through puberty. I was also dealing with a lot of mental health issues around that age. And so I also started taking um, medication for my obsessive compulsive disorder. And I also was, you know, starting to have symptoms of severe endometriosis. And so my, my illness, my mental illness, puberty, all contributed to this massive physical shift where suddenly overnight I went from being this little scrap of a kid who was constantly being told by everyone around me, eat, 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 you need to eat, to being, you know, suddenly none of my pants fit, none of my shirts fit. And I was, you know, the sort of, you know, the chubby girl in the body of a girl who had always been sort of moving around with that you know, freedom of never having to think about what I think about my body in a world, New York City, private school, lots of celebrity parents where people were incredibly focused on their image in a way that was, you know, geared towards a certain kind of commercialized beauty, um, a certain kind of highbrow commercialized beauty. And all of that combined to create a very kind of heady brew of anxiety around my body. I had thin parents, a thin sibling, all of whom were, you know, a good eight inches taller than me. And I thought, you know, I'll keep growing. I did not. I think, you know, there are different ways to go with that. And you can become obsessed with trying to conform to that image or you can sort of adopt you know become obsessed with sort of like the more kind of like riot girl perspective of I'm gonna go anti and that was sort of where I found myself I became I became much more obsessed with certain kind of countercultural kind of you know 
the kind of bikini kill Olympia Washington angry girls in torn shirts with you know fucked up hair that they cut themselves who were never gonna you know let other people tell them what to do with their bodies energy but that was a sort of confronting energy that wasn't necessarily palatable to the people around me and that fight to sort of keep my own autonomy and keep my sense of self as you know it's interesting because as I get older I realize there are a lot of deeper struggles than being a chubby girl in a world of skinny people but but that was my struggle and it definitely formed me right and I think it's a struggle of so many when there's so much pressure and and I'm curious to to what you would say your relationship to your body is like now. I recently read an Instagram post that you wrote where you said, I don't usually brush my hair and I'm not immune to spending 40 minutes looking in the mirror at my emerging crow's feet. And I was like, I really relate to that. And I just would be really interested to hear where you are with your relationship with your body now um, and where you kind of hope to go, I suppose. Well, it's a great question because I think so often we want to speak in these big absolutes. Like I've, I've come to a perfect place with mm-hmm. my body or I've come to a place of total health with my body. And I think that that is really dangerous because, you know, our bodies are constantly evolving. I think one of the main things I've mm-hmm. learned from having chronic health issues is that our bodies are in a constant state of flux. Like what our bodies are doing is changing every single mm-hmm. day and our bodies our bodies, a state of perfect health, a state of perfect beauty, a state of perfect peace is not promised to us. And so for me, the biggest thing I've learned is to kind of become comfortable with the discomfort of living in a human body. And so I don't live my days anymore imagining myself as a thin woman. I don't have fantasies about what that would look like. I don't, I don't even, you know, I, at my most sad, unhealthy, you know, when I was struggling with addiction in my late twenties, I lost an enormous amount of weight. And I had Mm -hmm. the experience of being in what people would call a kind of more traditionally, traditionally sort of thin, attractive body. I was, you know, a sample size. I got to experience that. And I took no pleasure in it. Part of it was that I wasn't healthy. Part of it Mm -hmm. was that I wasn't happy, but I also didn't feel like myself. And why that is, you know, someone could could try to unpack why that is, but I didn't feel like myself. That wasn't my body. That was somebody else's body. Mm-hmm. And so I got to have the experience and the experience wasn't for me. And I also knew it wasn't sustainable. And so now I don't live in a constant state of fantasy about living in another body, but that doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with living in this body in the society that we live Mm -hmm. in. It doesn't mean that I don't still, you know, look around and compare myself to, compare myself and my experience to that of my friends or that of other women who I, you know, am in an industry with, or, you know, look at pictures of my, look at paparazzi pictures of myself and think, you know, gosh, that angle wasn't ideal or, you know, Mm. imagine what life would be like if I didn't have to sort of, you know, know my perfect angles and turn and pose. But I also have intensely close friendships with women who live in thin bodies and worry about the same things. Mm. And I know that 
that exists for them. And I also recognize that I'm a bundle of contradictions. I don't want to brush my hair. I want to go out in my pajamas. And I'm focused on the fact that one of my breasts is sagging and the other one isn't. So it's like we live in that and I'm and I'm comfortable with those contradictions now. I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm not a person who wants to get injections in my face, but I also wonder why my face is changing. I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm a person who doesn't want to dye my hair. And when a you know gray pops up, I'm like, what the fuck is happening here? You know, all of those. I used to think you had to be a person who either totally rejected the, you know, the beauty industrial complex, rejected mm -hmm. fashion, rejected all of these norms and, or embraced them and that you couldn't live in an in-between state. And I now recognize that it's like, we have to build our own, each of us has to build our own space in the culture where we feel comfortable because it's like, you know, one of the reasons that our, our relationship to our body is so challenging, it's like, you know, when you get sober, it's like, you can just stop doing drugs, but mm -hmm. you can't stop eating. You can't stop living in the world. You can't stop looking at other people. And so you have to find a relationship to all these things that works for you and is healthy for you. And it's also one of the only areas in life where people still feel comfortable giving other people so much unfounded advice, imposing their ideals on other people. Fat phobia is one of the last acceptable um, phobia. It's one of the last acceptable biases. Mm -hmm. One of the last areas where people think it's socially appropriate to impose their beliefs on other people. And I know as a chronically ill person, even well-meaning people feel totally comfortable saying to you, have you tried this? Have you done this? You might get healthy if you just did this. And it's like, no, I haven't tried drinking eight glasses of water a day. If I, if I had, I would never have had to have a hysterectomy. Thank you so much, Nancy. And so, you know, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I think what I'm trying to say is like, it's all about coming to a personal place of comfort. And I think when I was younger, I was much more prone to making huge sweeping statements about, you know, say no to diet culture, say yes to this, say no to the, and and now I I come from a much more um, a real place of it has to be so personal for everybody. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think everything you said just makes so much sense and it's really important in this whole picture. And I think the complexities and what you're saying about not being in absolutes, because I'm a body image researcher. My my career, my work is dedicated to helping other people feel good in their body. I can still have bad body image days. Like that can still happen. And it's like, how do you navigate that? Again, it's the world that we live in. And also just how do you find peace with yourself and find peace with having those negative thoughts sometimes? And actually, how do you work your way around them? And something you mentioned there is about being those different sizes as an adult and just if you're comfortable sharing in terms of those experiences, in terms of how other people treated you based on those different sizes, and really curious to hear how you're treated by everyday people in your everyday life, and then how people treated you in your professional world. So industry people, people who got you dressed for big events, that kind of thing. Well, it's so interesting you ask that because you notice when you lose weight that there's just the, you know, the basics, the way that people look at you on the street, the way that men acknowledge you, the way that people smile at you, just the basic sort of humane stuff. 
it's like you just kind of go up a notch you're like oh was I a ghost before like there's just a little kind of door that opens and it's almost like information I never wanted to have like I didn't want to know that when you're a size four suddenly men are like slightly more prone to hold doors for you when you have a heavy package like I'm not pleased to have that information but now I do um and so there was that aspect there was the aspect of seeing how people close to me responded and something that was painful was that even though people knew that I was going through a really really hard time and that I really wasn't healthy they still couldn't help but respond like my weight loss was a good thing like it was in some way healthy or in some way like a, um, an accomplishment. And even when they would say, I'm worried about you or what's going on, there was like a tinge of pride or maybe even jealousy or how did you do it energy. And I couldn't help but feel a little bit of like, oh my God, they're worried about me. That has to be a good thing because as women, we're a little bit trained to be like, oh my God, I want people to be slightly worried about me. I want, I want to be so kind of like meek and so kind of off my feed, as my mom would say, that somebody's like, are you okay? And so as much as you know that that's wrong, there's a little bit of you that where it feels right. And then in my professional life, like I remember talking to a very, very famous actress who was like, and telling her what I was going through health-wise. And she went, well, whatever it's doing, it's working. You look like a fucking supermodel. And just going, oh my God, like these are where the values are. Like people are willing to destroy themselves, destroy their bodies, destroy their lives. And all she really heard me say was 50 pounds off my frame. Like that's all really that she heard in this sentence. And suddenly, you know, when I was getting dressed for, you know, I remember like, doing a cover shoot for a magazine. And suddenly there were racks and racks of Marc Jacobs clothing. And that wasn't clothing I'd ever been put in for a shoot before. I really love that clothing, but it had just never been brought in for me before. And suddenly there it was in size two and size four, and I could fit into the little shorts and I could fit into little tops. And I remember the feeling of it zipping on me, almost like being like this weird surreal dream or miracle. And there's this picture of me on the cover of Glamour magazine and these little Marc Jacobs you know, shiny shorts and that experience. And like, you know, the excitement that the stylists have that, oh my God, you're fitting in the sample size. Oh my God, no one's worn this off the runway yet. And when you're, when you're a size 14 or 16 US, which is, I think, you know, a, an 18 or a 20 UK, stylists have to be more creative. And you'd think like my stylist now, Chris Horn is amazing. And he takes that on as a challenge and he's excited to do it but certain people don't. And they think like, you know, now I'm going to have to do extra work or now I'm not going to be able to bring in the designers that I want. And, you know, I remember being at a shoot when I was in my twenties and I look back on that. And to me, I see this, you know, thin, pretty girl, but to them, they, they saw someone who was not the sample size and not the, not the norm and having a stylist say, you know what, I'm just going to put you in a t-shirt and jeans because there's just nothing else for you. I just don't have anything for you. And I'm like, I'm on the cover of Rolling Stone and you're trying to tell me that you don't have anything for me? Like it's, mm -hmm. and those conversations, you know, you take each one on the chin, but they add up and it becomes something damaging. And I think 
what I realized after my twenties is that, that it's like, I could take each discreet comment, a tweet that, you know, called me a fat whore and said that they wanted to see me stoned or, you know, an Insta an Instagram picture that showed my naked body next to a, you know, uncooked Turkey or a Pillsbury, you know, an open package of dough or, you know, a comedian I thought was funny making a cool joke about my body or whatever it may be like each one I could take individually, mm -hmm. but as they, but them mounting was actually too much for me. And that's where the trauma came in. It was like each one I could laugh off, but it was a tonnage issue. And by the end of my twenties and with, you know, six years of my show being on the air, it actually did like break a certain part of me because you're just fighting and fighting and fighting to hold on to your mm -hmm. sense of self. And your body starts to feel like it just doesn't belong to you. There's like a couple of things I'm thinking about going back to what you're saying at the beginning in terms of as a woman being small and dainty and people worrying about you a little bit. I relate to that so much. And the cumulative effect of all of those things happening to you, getting all of that feedback about your appearance, I like I can't even fathom it to the degree to which that you would have had it. I think every woman has that to some degree, but to for you being in the role that you operate in the world and what did you do like how did you work through that how did you navigate that I honestly think like for a long time I didn't and it took it really took some sustained time with myself and doing some real trauma work and really trying to my nervous system was fried my inner life was fried and I needed to spend some real time away from that I think it was just about returning to like a sense of just a sense of coziness and baseline sense of self and sort of removing myself from internet as central it's really easy to forget that the inter like especially I was just talking to my dad about this today I was like remembering like the week Instagram started and when all my friends started posting pictures and me thinking like, I'll try this and posting a picture of like a tray of brownies that I made. And then suddenly that becoming the central focus of, of our lives and how insane that is. And that I needed to take a break. And that doesn't mean I completely disappeared because I still had a life and a career to sustain, but you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy, I got to do a lot of really beautiful things and it also wasn't an easy time. And I needed to create, I needed to create like a new baseline for myself and almost retrain my nervous system and remind myself that my life existed outside, deeply outside of that system. And also that I value, like I was starting to see myself. I, I thought I was immune to, because of like my deep sense of self and, you know, the kind of like the kind of intense, powerful feminist, almost aggression that my mom instilled in me. I think I thought I was immune to all of that. And I started to almost see myself like through the eyes of trolls in a certain way. And that's not, that's a very unsafe way to live. And so 
the last four years have been a very, very, very strong reset for me. And, you know, sometimes I think that I should literally teach like a boot camp for women who have to like detach themselves from the internet and refine their inner life because there's more and more and more of them and probably more of them that we can even talk about because I think there's a lot of shame inherent in admitting that internet feedback affects you. I know I had shame about it because I felt like I should be bigger than this. These people aren't real. And then it started to close in on me. And I think one of the biggest ways was in feeling like it started to um, almost take root in my body because when people start to, you know, tell you what, tell you sort of like the worth of your body, the amount of commentary on my body. And by the way, I recognize that a huge amount of that was because I, my body was naked on television, but I also think that women should be allowed to make the creative, the artistic and creative choice to show their bodies. There can be, I think having a creative dialogue about like the worth of those scenes or what they mean is different than making qualitative judgments about whether that woman's body is attractive or whether that woman, you know, deserves to be loved or whether that woman, you know, is sexually appealing or, you know, the, the dialogue shifted so quickly from a creative dialogue to such an angry, rageful, unhealthy dialogue. And I think that, I think what I was prepared for was a conversation that was creative of like, are these sex scenes, um, you know, are these sex scenes necessary or why does she do this? Or, you know, is this show interesting? I wasn't prepared for what a hateful rhetoric would spring up around it. It makes me so heartbroken to hear the kind of that you had to experience that and live through that whirlwind and I also find I must say to me those sex scenes were so formative and redefined my vision of beauty and made me see that I was beautiful I hadn't had that permission before and seeing you be so beautiful on screen and yourself it changed my the course of my life truly like no exaggeration and I and I know it's the same for so many women I mean you are mentioned almost on every episode of this podcast by our guests as someone who changed the course of their life truly um what was the decision making behind showing your kind of the sexuality and the nudity like I think it was so important but I'd love to know what made you feel bold enough to do it you know I think coming out of the art world and growing up in the art world, there were so many women who did such interesting work, performance work, whether it was Linda Bangless or Yoko Ono or Andrea Fraser, like all of these incredibly interesting artists who were using their bodies as a conversation point to do something larger. And so there was, there was like a, for me, there was, um, there was a, you know, a precedent for it. And I think also I had, you know, I was obsessed with movies and film and I didn't see women who looked like me. And I also didn't see sex scenes that were necessarily, um, representative of what I was experiencing. I think I recognized that I felt like movies and TV had duped me a little bit when it came to what sex was going to feel like. And I was obsessed with sex and romance, but I was like, it's not exactly adding up to what I thought it was going to be. 
at the same time, there was this film movement beginning that was called Mumblecore in American cinema, where there was a lot of supernaturalistic sex springing up on screen, but almost all of it came from a super, super male perspective. It was young white men showing sex from their perspective. And I really wanted to show sex, awkward sex, complicated sex, painful sex from a female perspective. And that's how it began. And I started, you know, filming these sex scenes in college. I mean, in dorm rooms in college, I look back and think about a single camera and two kids making out in a college dorm room. And now I'm like, what is the difference between that and amateur porn? Can I say no? Would have loved to have an intimacy coordinator there. Hindsight is 2020. That being said, we were really trying to make our art. Um, now I would never do a sex scene without an intimacy coordinator. And we did work very hard to keep each other feeling comfortable in those college sex scenes. But um, we tried to do it as professionally as we absolutely could. Underwear was always on. But, um, but you know, the goal was to, to make something that felt true and, and also to make the sex scenes push the plot and I've always felt like sex had an enormous amount to say about who we are as people and for me sex was like an endless study in communication and so there was something I was trying to understand and and I felt like I was also trying to understand my own body in that context. And so that's how it began. And I don't think I understood, like I didn't really understand what having a show on HBO meant. I didn't really understand what putting it out in that large of a context meant. But I think sometimes, you know, there's nothing like being young and and bold and ignorant to, <laughs> to, to make you just go all out. And so that's kind of how it happened. And then suddenly, it's in the world and you have to stand behind that. And, and I'm really proud of what we did. I mean, I'm proud of, you know, it's funny, like, will, do I think my days of, uh, of being, you know, deeply naked on TV are over? Probably. I've just turned 35 years old. I hope you know? not. <laughs> but you know, at the same time, it's funny, like I say that now, but like when I'm 40 and this boob is drooping even more, I may want a document of that. Like, I just can't say. And I've learned not to make promises anymore because you always want to go back on them. And life is wild. Life is very wild. And I think I'd love to go back to something you said of, you didn't know what it meant to have an HBO show. You know, you're someone who broke the mold in such a huge way. I mean, you were this young female showrunner, you were this sexy lead, like you were. Every time you call me sexy, an angel sings inside of me, just, <laughs> just so you know. But you are, you're the real, I think you gave me such a sense of sexuality in myself. And so I must give it back to you and know that you are the reason I have that fire in my crotch. Like you, but you know, you really broke the mold. What was it like coming into the industry as a kind of, I mean, you are not the typical showrunner, you're not the typical director. Like what, how did people treat you? What was that experience like? You know, it's so wild for me looking back on it now because I just didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. Like at the time I felt like this is just what being a showrunner is. This is, must be how people treat showrunners. But I look back and I understand how much I was in a lot of ways, I got an enormous amount of respect. And in a lot of ways I was hugely questioned and hugely cautioned because of my age. And both of those things were true at the same time. And listen, 
I'm sure pe people should have questioned me, you know, handing a show over to a 24 year old is in some ways a completely insane thing to do. And there was so much that I didn't know and didn't understand. But at the same time, there was also the constant challenge. I mean, I had amazing guards, guardians, like the people at HBO and like Judd, but at the same time, I did have people, you know, questioning my vision or quite, and both within the bubble and outside of the bubble. And so and sometimes I felt like I was one of those characters in a video game, just like throw, or like a linebacker in football, just throwing people off me as I went, just like, bam, 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 bam. Like it was just a, it was just a, it was a wild experience. And I look back and I just feel like, I cannot believe that I made it through that. But at the same time, I feel like I was handed such a wild gift. There was nothing else to do, but just run, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that you managed to push those people off and create the vision that you did because it is such a special show and it means so much to so many people. It means the world to me. And I, I was saying this before we got on the call, but I was like, I rewatched Girls at the start of the pandemic and was like, oh my God, I'm watching my entire early 20s played out in front of me. I hadn't watched it since I was a teenager. And I was like, you gave me the roadmap, <laughs> like truly. <laughs> So happy, you know. I haven't watched it since I made it. No I have way. never watched it again. Which, wow. and I've had people say to me that they've watched it during the pandemic, and I'm like, that makes me so happy. That is wild. I don't know what it would be like for me to watch it. It's, you know, I'm so in my. I made two movies in the last six months. I've been so focused on the running my company, making my films. You know writing another book. I'm so, I'm a very future oriented person. And so like when things are done, they kind of are done for me. Um, although I do love a wee bit of nostalgia, but, but watching it again would be surreal. And I, I probably should, should give it a gander. Like my boyfriend's never seen it. And I showed him a couple of little clips and I was like, wow, I am a child. And I can't <laughs> believe that that happened. And also, I spent my whole 20s working. I never went to a, it's funny because I made a show my whole 20s about like partying and dating. But as a result of getting that show, I never did any partying or dating. <laughs> like it put a stop to all my partying and dating. So it was like, I got a career and then just never went outside again. So it was quite ironic in that way. Well, I mean, you filled me. <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad because you're the coolest person I know. And now you, Nadia, too. are. The, and when you said I'm a body image researcher, my brain was just like, um... Am I aroused? Yes, I am. <laughs> She's a hero. No, Nadia's a national treasure, honestly. You're both heroes. And being on this podcast is such a joy for me. And being near you two is such a joy for me. And I just feel like what you're doing is so important because creating this space, you know, I'm learning more and more by talking more openly. When Girls was on, I think I was often defensive about talking about my body because everybody else was talking about my body. So I was like, they can talk. I'm going to keep quiet about this. But now that I'm talking more openly about body image on Instagram via putting my clothing line out, whatever the case may be, I'm realizing just how layered and complicated it is for people and how like the plus community, if we can, if we want to call it a community, because there's so many different aspects to it, how layered it is and how much infighting there is and how complex it is. And just to have a show like yours, that's just asking these big, important questions without trying to impose massive answers. It's so important. And I've been listening since I was coming on and just how gentle you two are 
in holding these questions without telling people, because something I get sick of is how often people are telling other people how to have a healthy body image and what to feel and what not to feel. And you two are just beauties. Thank you. <laughs> Honey and I are both on the verge of tears because we're very sensitive very women. emotional. Which is the best um, way to be. Yeah, but that's the nicest thing for you to say and the nicest thing to hear. And it's, I mean, it's an absolute joy doing this with Honey and speaking to people like you about their experiences. And I think there is no right and wrong. And I think, yes, I am a body image researcher, but I have no idea about how individuals experience their bodies. I can study all I want about general things around body image what general trends are what risk factors there are what consequences there are but that doesn't give me any sort of expertise in how another individual experiences their own body that's like completely yours to experience i i also think one thing i like about the conversations we're trying to have is there are a million different ways to exist in your body and i think also your body is a constantly changing thing and I have always looked to people to try and figure out the best way to live through storytelling. Honestly, it's been guideposts in my life and I think hearing stories of people who are in the next chapter, it's just reassuring, isn't it? You know, just being like, they figured it out They've they're, and they're figuring it out and it's ongoing. Well, yeah, that, the fact that it is a continual process, it's not, it's not something that's like one and done. But can we go back to this conversation about breaking the mold? Because Lena, I would be just so interested to hear from you. Like you've opened the door for things to come. Girls is a, an amazing show. I loved it. I also watched it in the pandemic. Honey and I was, were speaking about it. But one show can only do so much, right? So how do we, or how does the industry continue on that wave? Like how do we keep moving forward in terms of representation and inclusion in TV and film? Well, I think something that's so important, you know, is something that was so important to me about girls was there was a huge conversation about diversity around the fact of the fact that the show had four white women at the center. And I felt really lucky to be held to account in that conversation. But I think one of the most important things that came out of that conversation was the idea that one show can only do so much and that it's not just about casting, it's about having creators at the top who who get to really express their own identity, like a really, really diverse array of creators and really letting so many different kinds of people, so many different kinds of women, so many people across the binary in so that they can express their experience and make a show that reflects their experience. And so that, and so that's why, you know, a show like I May Destroy You is so important. That's why a show like Insecure is so important. That's why a show like The Mindy Project is so important. That's why all of these shows springing up are so essential and make such a huge difference in the, that's why a, sh a show like, you know, Vita is so important. It's like these shows that are, you know, pushing new ideas about gender, about sexuality, about um, race, and and are doing it not just through their casting, but also through who is at the top, making the choices, doing the hiring, and writing the story. And I think that our industry is hopefully starting to really understand that, and that the people who are in positions of power are going to push that agenda. And that's something that's really important to me at my company and something that we talk about a lot is making sure that our slate is really actively representing, you know, the appropriate range of voices and isn't just 
you know, bottlenecking and prioritizing, um, you know, cis white voices at the top. I do feel optimistic, but as someone who doesn't work in TV and film, you know, it's like kind of, am I being naive? Am I like, I don't really have a clue. So it's kind of. I feel the same way because I'm always mm. worried that it's a trend or it's something that they're just respond. People are just responding to because they have to. But my hope is that, you know, because as women, we've so often been made mm. to feel like a trend in film and television. But my hope is that things are changing in a more substantive yeah. way. So I'd love to ask, I think this is, I'm sure a question or a version of this question you've been asked a lot, but I feel like you've had a hard time in the media and in the way you've been received. And I think so much in our society, women are put up on this pedestal and then torn down like it's a sport. And I think there's been so much conversation recently around cancel culture and misogyny in the media. And I actually feel like the direction of things, hopefully, is that people are now being given more space to grow and make mistakes. But you were not afforded that luxury. People were brutal. As you know, we at Pink Protest made a t-shirt which said Lena Dunham suffered for our sins because I think you were held to a standard that none of your... That t-shirt was the best. Thank you so (laughs) much. I'm so glad you like it. But I think you were held to a standard that none of your male counterparts were held to in any of the contexts. But how did you handle that experience and the experiences are ongoing and what has it taught you about yourself? Well, it's interesting because now that I'm seeing... You know, I was sort of an early adapter of cancel culture, an early experiencer of cancel culture. And, you know, I couldn't really do anything except go through it. And some of it was because of things that I had control of, things I'd said or things I'd done because I was a young, I had no experience in media. I didn't understand what I was doing. I didn't know what I didn't know. And there were things that people should have held me to account for. And there were things that were absolutely absurd and no one could tell the difference between the two. And also from the minute I came out into the world, there was a sort of general disdain for my body, for my voice, for my whatever. And so then the things that I said that were lightly irritating, made people insane. And the things that I said that were genuinely problematic seemed even worse. And all of that became mixed together in a stew that nobody could distinguish. And I'm sure I'll be parsing that for the rest of my life in some way, but there was really nothing to do but go through it. And I'm a fairly um, resilient person, I think, but it was still, I would be lying if I said it wasn't challenging, but my only goal really was to keep making my work because that's the only reason I came into this business. Like I genuinely didn't come into it to be a celebrity. I genuinely didn't come into it to be liked. I genuinely didn't come into it to be America's best friend or England's best friend or anyone's best friend. So in that way, I was sort of saved by the fact that people's perceptions of me and people feeling some cozy, like an audience feeling a cozy feeling about me isn't the reason I started doing this job. And I'm sure there are people who do go into entertainment because they do want to feel like some kind of connection to their audience that's really sweet and kind of old fashioned and like, that's just not me. And so, you know, I think people are starting to understand that celebrities are people and they're not infallible. And they're also starting to understand that like, there's some really fucking rotten people out there who have gotten to live in the limelight of celebrity. And so I think that I'm just sort of have just snuck off like a grandma and I'm just like in my house with my animals making my movies. And hopefully the fact that I grow and learn and try to live my 
authentic life, live my politics, live my truth. Hopefully that is enough to just, you know, let me slink off and and continue to make my things when I make them. And, but I think that, I think that I will always carry with me the knowledge of a certain kind of brutality that can be applied to young women while at the same time being totally aware of the aspects of it that I brought upon myself and those, and I can under, and I can sort of recognize the aspects of it that were self, um, that were self-created while also really holding on to the deeply unfair truths of how young women are abused and like malevolently hurled around by the media machine and how gleefully people attack young women and that we still as a society have some Salem witch trial blood in us. And I can know both of those things at the same time. And so I can say what we do to young women is fucking savage while also not saying, oh, poor me. And all of that can be true at once. Does that make sense? And you know what? I think I'm the, the thing I take away from what you've just said the most is I'm so glad that you were able to protect yourself, take a step back and just continue to make your powerful, unflinching art. And the world is very lucky. I love, I mean, I love what I mm-hmm. do and that's the only reason I ever started. And so I think if I'd started because I wanted to like have people swarm me in a mall and hug me, I'd be fucked. But I started because I just want to do this forever in some form and that's what I'm lucky enough to get to do. But I do hope I can protect other women from some of that same energy that that came flying at me, whether it's helping them navigate the press or whether it's just changing the way that we think about or direct our rage towards towards women mm-hmm. a little bit. And I hope that I can do that through my work, not through screaming right, about it. Right, well, well, I would say that we we love you here at The Body Protest and, and just thank you for sharing all of that. Well, I love you too also. Ditto Daisy, and I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lena. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I have no words. That was just incredible. I feel so elated by that conversation. I honestly, like, I... I feel like I've waited for this moment my whole life. Like, I really, like, since I first watched Girls as a, a teen, like, I I can't express how much I have looked up to Lena and I just, you know, she's such a special woman and as that conversation shows and I feel so privileged that we've gotten to speak to her. Completely. Like, we're both just sitting, beaming at each other. Um, it's incredible and just what a way to wrap up our series three I just think the whole series has been incredible I think we have learned so much people have been so generous with sharing their stories and experiences and we've got these beautiful themes running through with chronic pain chronic illness with weight stigma with disordered eating with industry and the role of industry from fashion and with tv and film And I'm just overwhelmed and overcome and just could not be more grateful for this experience with you and with Daisy, our wonderful producer. Hi, Daisy. We love you, Daisy. Um, No, it's been a really (laughs) special season. And I think just the range of stories that we've heard Mm. and the kind of honesty and vulnerability people have given to us, it's just been such a special 
it's been a special time and I feel so grateful to get to work with you and Daisy every week it just makes it you know obviously we both have we all have other jobs but this is such a passion project and yeah I just the, the fact that we get to do this makes me happy every day I actually feel quite emotional and I think it's just been it's such a a beautiful thing to be able to do and I think we, we and we've said this before but just through this pandemic this has just been a light and yeah. a and a and a rod and something that's been something that's just been so special to be able to create and I feel just so so fortunate and I just really hope people have enjoyed listening um, even just half as much as we've enjoyed doing this over the last however many months and if you have, please do let us know. It means so much to us when you share mm. our podcast on your stories, when you write a review. It just, it makes the world of difference. Like DM us, we are so happy. If anything resonates, talk to us. We are here. We are so, you know, hey, give it, give us some, give us some attention, please. <laughs> I know, we're, we're still here for the online validation. Um, and also, like, we're starting to think about what's happening for Series 4. So if there are any stories you'd like to hear about, any topics you'd like us to cover, we're, again, really open to that and just would love to hear your input because, as we say, this is just such a joy and privilege for us to do. And we just want it to continue and feel as special as it's feeling right now no completely honey thank you so much for doing this with me thank you daisy i can't wait to hang out shall we do it let's do it i'm gonna cry (laughs) (laughs) three two two, one one. bye Bye, body body protesters protesters. yay (laughs) honey i love you daisy i love you i love you both so much Thank you for listening to The Body Protest. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode and it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at HoneyKinney and you can follow Nadia at Nadia.Craddock. This podcast is produced and edited by the glorious Daisy Grant and it's brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network.